Intentionally Grown. I'm your host, Brian Willie, along with my co-host, John Kessler. Episode 77 features the running back coach at UC Davis, Mark Speckman. Coach will share with us his coaching background and will delve into the install of the fly offense with a focus on its hallmark play, the fly sweep. Coach will break down the blocking fundamentals, timing, variations, and philosophy of the play so that you'll be ready to implement it into your own offense this upcoming fall. For full film and video of this clinic, go to our YouTube channel and search The Fly Offense by Mark Speckman. This season, Intentionally Grounded is partnering with First Down Playbook. For coaches looking for a playbook software that is user-friendly and can deliver the clarity necessary to share and communicate your scheme with coaches and players alike, check out First Down Playbook. For more information, check out their website at firstdownplaybook.com and for our listeners of our show, enter the code IGFB20 when purchasing individual or program memberships to receive a discount at checkout. Again, that code is IGFB20. Don't forget to check out our website at IGFootballCoach.com for all our blog posts and podcast episodes. And check out our newly released YouTube channel that houses the video cast version of our podcast episodes as well, along with additional content related to leadership, football, and coaching development. Season 3. Episode 27 with Coach Mark Speckman starts now. All right, we're joined today by the assistant head coach and running backs coach at UC Davis, Coach Mark Speckman. Coach, introduce yourself to our audience and uh, share your background in coaching. Okay. It's nice to be here. Uh, I'm Mark Speckman. I'm currently assistant head coach, as he said, at UC Davis. Um, I coached high school football for 17 years, 14 as a head coach, taught history. And thought that's what I was going to do forever. I really liked it. And um, had a chance to go become an offensive coordinator at a Division three school in uh, Oregon, uh, Willamette University. And that's where I started working with Dan Hawkins. And um, after three years, Dan went to Boise as an assistant, and I became the head coach at Willamette and did that for 14 years. Um, went to Menlo College for one year in California. And... Um, had a chance to go rejoin Dan again in uh, Canada, and I was a running back coach for the Montreal Alouettes for two years, and uh, I did two years as offensive coordinator at Lawrence University in Wisconsin after that, and then the last, this will be my fourth year at Davis, so I had two jobs in 25 years, and then the last decade, I, when the kids all grew up and moved out of the house, was able to um, move around a little bit and have some, some really neat experiences. And you've had a very unique story about your playing career as well, as you were born without any hands, but yet still went on to have a Hall of Fame career at Menlo College and, and also were an All-American Honorable Mention at Azusa Pacific. Tell us a little bit more about that journey you had during your playing career and, and how you overcame a seemingly detrimental condition to flourish in all that you did. Well, I like to joke that that, uh, that guy for the Seattle Seahawks, uh, Samir Griffin, I think is his name, uh, has one hand. I had no hands. Uh, and, and we were basically the exact same guy, except he's way bigger, faster, more athletic, violent, better. But, uh, you know, I never thought it was a huge deal. Um, but that, and, and I used to kind of just approach it that way, like, what, what's a big deal? And, but I've come to learn it kind of is a big deal. And um, I just, um, I had parents that made me do everything my brothers did. I was a middle child. Um, I was the youngest, I was the third youngest person in the United States to ever get fitted for hooks. And I wore hooks all the way up to high school and, and I absolutely hated them. And, um, 
but that's kind of was my background. I wore hooks at school and, and uh, would take them off and go play. And football was just a great sport in the sense that, you know, if you had a high pain tolerance and um, didn't mind getting run over, it was a good sport for anybody. And, um, and I learned, you know, it was really interesting to me. What I've learned is how many kids in our classes or how many guys on our teams are listening to us and they're not listening to us. They're trying to figure it out in their own way. So, you know, for example, you know, coaches would teach us how to catch a pass, making a diamond with your fingers. And I'd be going, okay, that's not helping. And um, I'd be thinking the whole time, well, how am I going to do that? And, um, you know, or grab cloth when you tackle. And, uh, you know, I'm just going, well, that's not going to work. And I probably invented rugby tackling before there was such a thing as rugby tackling because that was the only way I, my arms are a little bit shorter without the hands, obviously, than I'm pretty much right off at the wrist. Um, you know, I was the only way I could really get my arms around people. And I think it made me a really good tackler because I had to have good feet and I had to get in front of people and I couldn't grab. So in some ways it was a really good, um, you know, good, problem to have I don't think there was ever a time I was strong enough where I could kind of just grab somebody and and um you know I got a hold of you usually you're going down but and I you know I could catch the ball fine and I you know so it was never really a huge issue you know I've got a smaller right foot I only got four toes on that foot that might have been a bigger problem or the fact that I couldn't play with my glasses on that made it always half blind but you know, football is such a great game that, um, you know, again, if you have some some modicum of athleticism, quickness, you know, I, was, I thought I was a very quick player, very, very fast. Um, and, and so I was able to get places and, and get in the right spots. And I was, you know, pretty cerebral. And so there's a place for everybody in this in this sport, especially in high school. And uh, obviously it gets it weeds people out the higher levels you go. But um, I was just lucky that I got in this, you know, I had head coaches that, I, I mean, I, as a head coach, kids would come in and they'd have a hearing aid or they'd have, you know, they'd have some issue and I'd go, how the heck are they going to play? And I started thinking, well, what they think when I walked in, you know, and they must have thought, you know, this is, a, you know, they're on candid camera or something. And, um, and so, you know, I'm really thankful to the junior college coach at Menlo, um, you know, Ray Solari was a great influence. And my high school coaches were awesome, and always encouraged me and, told me I could play college football and I had no idea I could. And, you know, I walked in in Azusa Pacific and, and they, you know, great thing about football is after the, you know, the first hitting drills, it kind of weeds out, you know, doesn't matter what you wore preseason on the depth chart, you know, you have a chance every year to, you know, to move up. And so it was a, a great confidence booster for me. It was a great way for me to integrate in my life. It was a great way for me to have to, um, prove myself, you know, in a, in a way that everybody has to do. And, um, and I think anybody that's got a physical disability is really looking for some kind of opportunity like that somewhere along the line. And, and I don't know this the guy for the Seahawks, but I bet he's sick and tired of talking about it. Cause I know when I was a player, I was sick and tired of talking about it. And I want people just to um, recognize me as, as a really good football player and just as good as anybody else on the same level playing field. And, and um, 
but I think as he gets older, as I have, I'm going to, you know, you're going to look back and realize why people would come up and introduce their kids to you after a game because they wanted their kids to see me doing something that they thought was incredible and it meant something to those kids. And, and it was a good lesson. And, and even though I didn't see it exactly that way, he's going to, you know, and I'm sure he's going to look back in time and see that he did totally incredible. Well, switching over to your coaching career a little bit. You know, one of the things um, that you spent a lot of time on is, you know, running back play, uh, coordinating offenses at various levels. How would you describe your offensive philosophy and who were some of your mentors that helped you mold your philosophy? Well, I, I was a, uh, I played linebacker at, at Menlo and at Azusa Pacific. And I always thought, and, and my first few coaching jobs were as a defensive coordinator. And um, I really thought I was going to be a defensive coordinator. I love defense and I got that. I was all about it, and um, I had a chance. Um, I was working at a school called North Monterey County High School in, in um, down by Monterey, California. It's not, you think Monterey, it's really nice. We, this was Castroville, California, which is where the artichokes come from, and uh, it was a brand new school, and uh, I met Phil Moss and Roger Sugimoto, and they came from uh, El Centro High School down in the desert of California. And they, we ran the Veer offense, and but we had this fly package that they had picked up from a guy named Gene Beck, who was in Delano, California, and he did it in the late 80s, early 60s. And, um, and it was just four plays. It was four plays, one formation. And um, then after a year, I became a head coach at a, at a school, and I was all fired up about the defense, but I had no idea what to do on offense. So, I, my, you know, my first thought was, let's just go, you know, play really good defense, punt, and then play really good defense. And that's not going to fly. You got to have some play. So I put the veer offense in with the fly, and I just found the fly was way more effective and easier to teach and always on the ground less. And you didn't have a great quarterback. You could still survive. And so over the years, I just kind of clung to that four plays and then it expanded to eight plays and then the four formations and eight formations. And, and then just, it was just fun and open, you know, that I think when I was becoming a head coach, you know, in the eighties and nineties, there wasn't uh, you really had to work hard to get film. You know, you had to really work hard to get cutups and uh, you know, today you got stuff like we're doing now. I mean, you could do football 24 hours a day sitting in your room. We have access to all the NFL film at Davis, all the college film. And I find that the younger coaches are watching film all the time and getting ideas. And I think that's great. Nothing wrong with that. But I was always just kind of on a whiteboard or a chalkboard or whatever the heck we had, kind of going, what if we did this? And it was like, what if? What if? Because nobody really cared. And we weren't very good. And, and so – the fly kind of just was kind of a what if offense. Like, well, what if we ran it with no tight end? What if we ran it to an unbalanced? And what if we faked it and handed it to somebody else? And so I think, you know, and I, and I kind of go back to my life experience. I, I just wasn't afraid to, to try things, you know. I mean, I just always kind of looked at things differently. And I was going, well, yeah, let's try it. And luckily, there was nobody to tell me no or, hey, that's stupid or nobody else is doing it. And I'd look around, nobody else was doing it. But I was – you know, I was going as a defensive coach. I always thought that was 
a great advantage if you had to prepare. I mean, as a defensive coach, I hated, I kind of put everything I hated into my offense because I didn't like motion and I didn't like um, unbalanced formation and I didn't like deception. I just like you to line up, announce where you're going, and then let's go mano y mano. And, um, and so I, I just felt like there's a lot of things that, that, that screwed defenses up. And um, I tried to incorporate those ideas with that motion that I'd learned from uh, Phil and Roger. And, and then over the, you know, again, it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I, I had some great assistant coaches that really bought into it and they'd come up with ideas. And, and a lot of the ideas just started because kids screwed up, you know, kid lined up wrong or a kid went the wrong way. And I'm going, heck, that's a great ball speed, you know, and, and that would become part of the offense. And we would always joke about, you know, with kid making mistakes, I'd always tell them, hey, it's all right. They're going to draw a card up for that. Uh, waste some time. And so, but philosophically, it was kind of like everything a defense shouldn't like, I tried to put in. And it really came from a defensive perspective. And that's a long answer. So sorry about that. Well, that's good. Um, so, Coach, if you had to, you know, describe the fly offense, I know you kind of described some of its tenets and the philosophy behind it. But if somebody in our listeners or, or who's watching this has never seen the fly motion, how would you describe the fly offense in a nutshell? Well, in a nutshell, it's, it's based around the fly sweep and everything else is a counterpunch. And uh, it's, a, it's really a counterpunch offense. Um, all good offenses have a progression. And uh, so there is a progression to this. And, and I would always tell my team, and I still use this at Davis, say, we're going to beat you with the sweep or we're going to beat you with the sweep. And, and what that means is if, you know, we can't run, if we can run the sweep, you're going to have a long day because we're going to be really good. We're going to be really good at it. And if you can't run this, if you do stop it, and we're going to beat you because you're stopping it and you're really weak somewhere else. And we have a, a mechanism of, of, of attacking that. And so to me, it was, it was a, it just as a defensive guy trying to call plays, I just wanted, I'd say it would always be, you know, to me, it was like, okay, I know you know this. So now, you know, here's my counterpunch. And uh, it was always like every clinic I ever talked at or anything, I'd always say, Hey, we're just, we're going to run the sweep as many times as we can. And I hope the defensive coordinators are playing are out there getting ready to stop it because they have to move pretty far to stop it and it opens up other things. So, and so first tenant is, is a, it's a, it's a perimeter off based on speed and timing. And then there's the deception part of it. To me, deception is a lost art of football. Um, you know, it works at any level. You know, I've seen, I, I've personally seen it work in the professional levels. It works at, college works in high school pop warner doesn't matter faking people out is it works at all everywhere and i just felt uh you know faking the sweep and then doing something else or giving the ball on the sweep and doing something else so basically you were there's usually going to be a sweep motion and then uh either out of a one back or a two back offense or out of a behind center or shotgun We've done it all those different ways. Whatever your style wants to be, you can add that. And um, but whatever plays you're running are you're, you know are good. You can run a power with it. You can run. You can fake the sweep and run power. You can fake the sweep and run counter. You can fake the sweep and run inside zone. Whatever plays you love and can teach. I, you know, people that ask me, I always just tell them, hey, just just add the sweep and then put all your other plays in with the sweep fake, and then that's the fly offense. But as you study it, you're going to find that, you know, all the nuances that defenses have to stop it and then have an answer to, uh, to, to uh, 
go off of that. You know, when I coach against the option, we'd have plan A, and that was always good. And then plan B was, you know, you kind of, if you had a plan C, that usually was good for a touchdown for the other team because kids could only learn plan A and maybe plan B. And plan C, somebody forgot the pitch or the dive or the quarterback. And so most teams, when they play us, only have one way of, of stopping it or two. And, you know, if they try three, they usually get, get a little bit chaotic. And so, so basically, you know, just like any good offense, there should be some option principles of, you know, of, of having to stop the entire field. And, um, you know, a lot of people call it the jet. And a lot of people call it the speed sweep. Um, but the whole offense revolves. I call it the fly because that's what I learned. La mosca, the fly. And, um, you know, if you really want to get my wife fired up you know, on TV, just call it the jet or the speed sweep. And she goes, or reverse. She doesn't even know if a football's blowing up her stuff. But she will get fired up about people calling the sweep the wrong thing. 